Hello everyone, I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for September 14th, 2016. Today's topic is Stay Interviews to Drive Employee Engagement. Now, of course, if you're listening live, I'd like to invite you to be a part of the show and ask questions, and the best way to do it, hands down, is to go ahead and just email me directly, and that is brian at benchmarkportal.com, spelled out B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com. And of course, if this is one of your first times listening to our episodes, we'll remind you or let you know that we have all of our shows archived and available to listen to at our website. So just go to benchmarkportal.com, and that way you can find Call Talk, and we've got over five seasons of this show with amazing different uh, subjects, thoughts, and categories, and you can just really spend some good time in there. So anyway, anytime that's good for you, check that out. So let's get going in today's show, and allow me to introduce the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfiore. Well, thank you, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Employee turnover is a major issue for many call center managers. We and others have uh, researched the cost of turnover and helped individual centers compute their cost of turnover, which can run into thousands of dollars per employee. So it's really an important area that we wanted to talk about uh, today, and particularly in the, uh, with regard to stay interviews, which are an important anti-turnover technique. And we brought an expert in the, uh, on the topic for you, Christopher Mulligan. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me, Bruce. I'm excited to be here and share some best practices around stay interviews. Okay, great. And we're really looking forward to hearing those. Now, some of our listeners may recall that Chris has been on Call Talk before with a very successful episode. He has over 25 years of experience in the human resources industry, the majority of which has been in the employee engagement, selection, assessment, and retention arena. Chris co-founded Talent Keepers in 2000, an organization dedicated to the issue of employee engagement and retention. Talent Keepers products have twice been recognized as top training products of the year by Human Resource Executive Magazine for their innovative and effective approach. Chris has worked with organizations around the world, including Accenture, AT&T, BMW, Coke, EDS, GE, and UPS, just to name a few you've probably heard of. Prior to co-founding Talent Keepers, Chris was the Vice President of Business Development for Alignmark, a division of Thomson Reuters, leading global e-information and solution company. Chris is a member of the American Psychological Society and associate member of the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. He holds a bachelor's degree in psychology from the Florida State University and a master's in industrial organizational psychology from the University of Central Florida. And for future dis- for full, full disclosure, Benchmark Portal has recently partnered with Talent Keepers. But as always, this Call Talk broadcast will focus exclusively on issues and not products or services. So, Chris, everyone has heard of exit interviews those sometimes awkward conversations HR or managers have with employees who decide to leave voluntarily. Uh, The exit interviews that are most useful and usually the most painful are the ones that result in those aha moments. You know, if, if only I had known what the employee was thinking, we might have been able to retain them, right? So the stay interview is a tool to avoid those, you know, too late, I'm leaving moments and do something proactive and positive that will make yours a better, more stable, and more sticky center. And we might define these stay interviews as scheduled conversations 
to see how the employee is doing and how engaged they're feeling. So, in fact, uh, we hear a lot of, of talk about using stay interviews to drive employee engagement. However, I know, Chris, that you have a slightly different take on it than most people. Uh, can you tell us about it? Sure, Bruce. Based on our years of research and the experience we've had with clients in a variety of industries, we favor a more formalized stay interview methodology than most organizations use today. Now, this methodology consists of four steps which yield measurably improved results in employee engagement and retention. Okay, that, that's great. You know, one thing that our, I know our lust, listeners love is when you can actually point to measurable results. So uh, please tell us about these uh, four steps. Sure. These four steps are a survey, leader training for leaders on how to conduct the stay interview, a one-on-one -on -one meeting that we call a handshake meeting, which is what most people think of as what you stay with a stay interview. We use the word handshake as a metaphor for a mutual commitment. And lastly, an online action plan. Okay, that's great. A uh, lot of good components there. Let's see if we can sort of peel the onion for our listeners. Uh, can you walk us through each of these steps? Yes. Uh, the survey is a short 10-minute non-anonymous survey which the employee completes. And it's non-anonymous because it's not an assessment of anyone's performance, but rather the questions focus on preferences of the employees on four key drivers of engagement. Okay, so here I'd just like to put a book note in here because I think it's important for our listeners to uh, understand that the STAY interview is not a performance assessment. Uh, which is the kind of conversation that oftentimes you have when you sit down with your employee, right? So this is a different kind of interaction. It's a conversation about engagement. Okay, great. Please go on, Chris. Sure. That's an excellent point, Bruce. In fact, we coach leaders that if performance issues come up in the course of that, to, to really table those uh, for another time and really just focus on engagement. The, the four drivers that we believe are most effective based on our research are career issues and aspirations, leader preferences, how do I want to be led by my leader, how do I prefer to be engaged, and when I do well, how do I prefer to be recognized? So, for example, questions in the leader preferences focus on the type of leader I prefer, I prefer like how I like to be communicated to, and for career, what's most important to me? Is it flexibility because I have a young child or an aging parent that I'm caring for, or perhaps advancement because I'm ambitious and looking for a promotion? The next step is for the leader to be trained on how to conduct the stay interview or what we call a handshake meeting. This includes a handshake meeting guide, which is a template for them to follow, which creates structure and consistency. It provides the leader a comfort level that's necessary to be successful in something they likely have never done before. Yeah, that, I think that's key because uh, throwing, throwing a new methodology at someone without proper training is, is really unfair and dooms the initiative to failure. And oftentimes the people who are thrown that stuff are supervisors who are already <laughs> the most overlooked when it comes to 
you know, training in general. What we generally do is we say, hey, these are, this is a really good person as an agent. Let's promote them to supervisor and then uh, not give them the appropriate training when, in fact, that training is uh, key to their success. And this, this is an added layer to that. They need to, you know, uh, know how to use this methodology if they're going to be able to use it successfully. So uh, the familiarity with the process will bring them on board and, and lead to success. Okay, great. So, so after employees have taken the survey and the leader has been trained, what happens next, Chris? The leader sets up a time for the handshake meeting. It should be clear this meeting is not to talk about work issues or review an employee's job performance, as we mentioned earlier. The meeting will focus on the survey results, which are a starting point for a conversation. For instance, the the leader may ask, you said you're interested in career growth. Tell me what that looks like to you. In this meeting, the leader should be spending the majority of the time listening and taking notes while guiding the conversation through the handshake meeting guide. Okay, and and here there's, uh, I imagine, some things that some managers, supervisors, et cetera, could be a little bit concerned about in terms of just saying, okay, uh, open book, open table, open mic. <laughs> you can tell me what it is that uh, you're interested in, your interest for career growth, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but there's got to be a little bit of fear in the hearts of a lot of those managers who uh, can't necessarily respond to all of the things that the uh, employee might be interested in. So tell us a little bit about that, Chris. Yeah, you raise an excellent point, Bruce. And in fact, you just identified one of the two most common reasons that we hear leaders are hesitant to have conversations like these. And that is they don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to overpromise something to a team member that they can't deliver. The other common hesitation we hear is that they weren't aware this was really part of their job. And largely, that comes from them never having had this conversation with their manager. So we we have to overcome that fear of making a mistake and clearly explain that this is well within the responsibility of that immediate leader. They're in the best position to have these discussions. Mm -hmm. So in terms of number one there, they need to understand the perimeters uh, in which they can operate and uh, the, the degree to which they can go beyond just listening. And somehow that also needs to be communicated to the, uh, the agent or the uh, employee so that um, they don't go in there thinking that this is like sitting on Santa's knee and uh, <laughs> sort of giving a list of what, what you want for Christmas, right? Exactly right, yeah. And what we suggest... Bruce, is, is many times we will find that what the employee wants is well within the scope of their current role. It may just require some tweaking, um, mm-hmm. but to the extent that, that aspirations extend beyond the current role, it's a really healthy discussion to talk about where they would want to move next and what they would need to do in order to put themselves in a position to be eligible to be moved into that position when the opportunities arise. And here's, I think, a real valuable piece because now we're communicating clearly to the employee that that career growth is not the responsibility of the leader solely, but the employee plays a strong role in that as well in in the form of performance and and skill development. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Uh, you know, I think those are important points. And, and uh, you know, there's a nor natural fear, I think, of these things, perhaps even in the, uh, the minds of some of the folks listening here. But think about the upside to this. Think about the upside of understanding what it is that your people are thinking about, concerned about, uh, hoping about, instead of finding that out through the exit interview at the end and, uh, you know, the opportunity to keep them on board. So as long as the expectations are properly set and um, the people are properly trained, you know, this could be something that's, um, in a sense, life-changing for the supervisors and the managers because if you're able to retain your best talent instead of see them walk out the door, then that makes a big difference in terms of your uh, workday as well. Yeah, it really does, Bruce. And that focus on the career growth aspect is something that has emerged as a very important area. Over the past five years, our research has shown that the number one reason employees are voluntarily leaving their jobs are career issues. And so if we're not having those discussions, as you say, we're likely to find out when it's too late in that exit survey. So uh, this is really important to have a proactive discussion around those things. Right. Okay, great. And, and how about follow-up? Yeah, that's a great part. The uh, part that many organizations struggle with is the follow-up. We call it online action planning. And this is where following that meeting – the leader and the employee have an opportunity to document what they discuss. So the leader would document the way in which the employee defined a particular leader trait that they were interested in. So it, it might be communication. And in asking that employee how other leaders that they've worked with in the past have done a really good job at communication, the employee would have defined behaviorally that they prefer frequent feedback versus holding things up uh, and, until a later time and uh, giving it to them straight. Don't sugarcoat feedback for me so that leader can make those notes. Um, and then the employee you know, might make some notes that in order to move into that dream next job, they've got to enhance certain skill sets and to get certain experiences under their belt. And that way, they both have, the leader and the employee, a reminder of that discussion. Very important in call center environments where we often have larger spans of control and the leader needs to remember what each employee has told them so they can be appropriate in their coaching. It's also very important, Bruce, in call center environments where we have shift bids. And every so often, we're going to shake everybody up and come out with new leader to team member relationships. And one feature that we think is really important in an effective stay interview system is to retain the comments from previous leaders so that if I'm a leader and I get a new team, I can review the previous notes from that handshake meeting and begin the discussion with my new team members by reviewing what I've understood, checking to make sure I understood that correctly, and asking for updates. And uh, we've received feedback from uh, many, many employees that they feel like it is important that the organization document that so they don't have to you know, come up with all of this information every time there may be a new leader. So uh, really effective to document that online for many reasons, as I've just said. In addition, uh, we, we find that aggregating that data can be very helpful as well. 
uh, so that you can see if there are common things that employees are looking for, the organization may take that as an opportunity to enhance their career development program or their leadership training program. Mm-hmm. So really, it's sort of like CRM. You know how um, we hate uh, calling a company and having to tell them the same thing over and over again, right? The call centers uh, hear that complaint from customers all the time. Well, I just told your client, you know, your colleague about this. Why do I have to repeat it all again? And so it's the same sort of thing here. The employee would like to know that they were heard and, um, you know, documented the first time and that that documentation is available to their new boss if they happen to, uh, you know, move to a different place. And so really the, the company needs to have a CRM for the employees that's open to them, right? Exactly right. Yep. Makes them yep. feel as though their opinions are, are more valuable because the company mm-hmm. has made an oppor- made the effort to document that. Oh, okay, good. And, and, you know, given the fact that employee information is so, uh, you know, touchy in terms of confidentiality, et cetera, uh, it would be wise for our listeners to think about that, to talk to the RHR departments about it, and to see if there could be a, uh, you know, a, a less protected part of the employee file that uh, could be easily accessed by managers and new managers that has this information in it, and, and for good reason, because this way the employee will be happier as well. So, uh, no, that's great input. Okay. So, you know, this does sound like a very thorough process, Chris, uh, that you've described to us. Um, tell us, what kind of success do the organizations you've worked with see from actually using uh, the complete stay interview process? We've seen very strong results from stay interviews, Bruce. Things such as increased retention rates, increased engagement metrics. On the retention side, particularly with early tenure turnover, which we know is a troubling area for many call centers, we've seen those first 30, 60, 90-day turnover rates cut in half in some cases because many times we think of stay interviews as only to be used with incumbent employees, but in fact our experience shows us that they are just as valuable, in fact maybe more valuable, with new employees when used as part of the onboarding process. And imagine starting your new job and one of the first conversations you have with your new leader is what's important to you in a leader, your career, how you want to be engaged and recognized. Uh, we find that this often influences what we call the Friday night dinner conversation. You, know, you start your new job on Monday, Friday comes around, you're having dinner with a significant other, and invariably they say, so how'd it go? And what you don't hear is the paperwork was ready, the key to my office was ready, I had a key card to get into the building. You hear about people. And these conversations with the help of the stay interview process say, you know, my leader asked me what I want from him or her and where Mm -hmm. I want to go in the organization. Uh, Very, very engaging. Uh, We also find that they're effective complement to any other engagement initiative. In fact, some large companies have implemented stay interviews within some of their operating groups and not in others. And when engagement scores were compared across these groups, those groups that implemented the stay interviews had significantly higher engagement results. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, we we did a study, I think you may have seen it a few years ago, called Agent Voices, 
Now, this was based on uh, 5,000 surveys of um, contact center uh, agents in North America. And um, a number of things came out of it. One is the importance of the relationship with the immediate uh, boss, the supervisor. And uh, so what you were just saying about the fact that that Friday night conversation is not going to be about, you know, having the uh, keys or the codes or all that kind of stuff. It's going to be about how they felt, right, how they felt about uh, the people that they were working with, how they were made to feel. And if you're being asked by uh, those people how you feel, then you're really uh, going to be, you know, you're going to feel more, uh, appreciated, and you're going to feel like you're more valuable to the organization, which is definitely one of the things that came up on the negative side in the Agent Voices um, uh, survey as well. Um, the other thing is that, um, you know, you mentioned engagement metrics, Chris, and uh, we love metrics at Benchmark Portal. Can you just uh, tell us what engagement metrics you look at and what they mean? Sure. Yeah, we've identified four drivers of engagement that, if present, can really get that employee to give us that discretionary effort, which is such a common characteristic of an engaged employee. And they are a credible leader, that is, someone who is competent in the work that they're doing, and they're knowledgeable of the work that the agent is doing. Um, they treat that individual as an individual. They know what their aspirations are. I think the best definition of a credible leader is that they are their team member's advocate. They will go to bat for them. They'll defend them from unwarranted criticism. They'll put them in a position to be successful. Uh, the second driver is supportive coworkers. Uh, winning, winning people want to work on winning teams, right? And so if I'm working 110% and I hold these values, I want everyone else I'm working with to be working just as hard and have the same values. And that's a, a driver that emerged over the past five years, Bruce, in our research as millennials or sometimes called Generation Y employees have emerged to today be the largest generation in the workplace. And so mm -hmm. for that generation, supportive coworkers are very important. Uh, the third is job and career satisfaction. I, I, I like what I do. I'm doing what I feel I do well, and I see a path forward for whatever that looks like for me. And lastly, a high-performing organization. Uh, we want to work for an organization we're proud to be associated with, who that we think is doing good work, socially desirable work. Um, those are the four drivers of, of engagement that we typically use as measurements. Um, there's another one that's emerged over the past uh, six or seven years, and that's the employee net promoter score. Many call centers are familiar with the net promoter score. Would you recommend our company as a good yep. place to do work to friends and family? Well, the employee net promoter score says, would you recommend our company as a good place to work to friends and family members. And so those are the metrics that we look at. Uh, we measure each one of those, and uh, that's where we can see where the organization has strengths that they can leverage and where there may be some opportunity areas that if they were going to make an investment in engagement, they're likely to get the best return. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great, great input there, Chris. Uh, thank you very much. We're starting to get toward the end of our, our uh, period here, so what I'd like to do is to turn things over to Brian because I know that he has some questions uh, from the audience. So, Brian? Yeah, I sure do. Uh, thanks. Uh, you know, Maura uh, just 
put an email in, and actually, I think you sort of just answered it, Chris, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to, to wrap it up for more, just in case. And she asked, uh, you talked about measuring the employee engagement. How can you measure whether state interviews really increase employee engagement? Um, is that kind of through the survey you just mentioned, or, or how else? Yeah, it can be through the survey, certainly. And, you know, in the initial survey, you're collecting data on the employee's preferences, and because they're not anonymous, we have demographic data on these employees. And, for example, we can see that employees of a certain generation were looking for communication preferences and then in related measures around how effective we are in communication as an organization, we can make sure that we're improving in those areas that we find are most important. Uh, so we can look at any one of those metrics uh, over time to see whether or not that's improving. And the other thing, Brian, that we found is, you know, more and more organizations today are linking engagement metrics to performance. And we advocate that for every client of ours because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, most organizations are in business to return a profit to their shareholders. And uh, if we can show that an engaged employee is selling more, servicing better, uh, that's going to return to the shareholder that value that the, ob the organization is obligated to provide. Yeah, if I could just add, too, that's a key area, and it's an area in which uh, we in the uh, benchmarking and the uh, call center field are always trying to figure out how to monetize things for the senior managers because that really uh, will bring across to the value uh, that is inherent in the customer contact function, which we all know is very high, but we have to sort of be able to uh, demonstrate that. And but it's also important for government sector and nonprofits as well to be able to make that connection. So if you're a listener here and you're in the government sector or nonprofit, the uh, things that Chris was just talking about, I think, apply to you just as much. I would agree. Yeah. Fantastic. I've got uh, two more. Uh, this one comes from Carrie, and um, I, I think I heard you answer it too, and it was sort of about managers you've mentioned. But uh, Carrie is asking who should actually be doing the state interviews. Great question, Carrie. State interviews are most successful when the immediate leader speaks with their employee. It's all about building that relationship of trust, plus the leader understanding their employees better. We suggest starting interview, stay interviews um, from the top down. So in organizations we work with, senior leadership would complete the process with their direct reports, and then the process flows down into the organization. Yeah, really, there, there's nothing like being the subject of a stay interview to get a sense of what works and what doesn't. And um, really where it becomes part of the fabric of the organization, part of the communications of the organization uh, to do this sort of thing, it's, um, I think, very, very valuable. Very, very valuable. Okay, thanks. And I've got one more from Patrick, but before I wanted to ask on my own, uh, do you find that it's difficult getting buy-in from the entire organization, or does the buy-in start from uh, manager and then work up and then start from that process, or what's been the experience there? Yeah, great question, Brian. I, I think the buy-in comes from the ground up in, in this environment. Um, everyone mm -hmm. likes to be asked what's working and what's not. Everyone likes to be treated like an individual, 
and we know that career growth is top of mind for for many many individuals so a formalized discussion around that where there's documentation of what was discussed and commitment to act in certain areas uh, gives people a sense that this is really important and it's probably the one solution of the many that we offer that gets the most positive feedback from employees and leaders alike employees tell us routinely that they now believe their leader is well acquainted with what's important to them and they feel comfortable that their leader is going to act on what has been shared and leaders routinely come out of these discussions with an increased appreciation of the diversity on their team and not the diversity we traditionally think about around age or ethnicity but rather about needs and wants and preferences and that enables them to really be a more effective leader for each and every team member Interesting. Okay, thank you. Uh, and then uh, Patrick follows up with a question, and how often should we be doing the STAY interviews? Yeah, that's another great question, Patrick. In our research, we see best-in-class organizations conducting them at least twice a year. In fact, in our 2016 survey, Workplace America, where we had over 880 organizations participate, uh, 44% were conducting these sorts of interviews quarterly, and 26% of organizations were holding them monthly. Now, these were best-in-class organizations, and that's usually about 10% of the total population who participate in that research. And they are very different in this area than the rest of the organizations where we saw, you know, these were happening maybe yearly. I believe 19% of everyone else in the non-best-in-class category never conducted them. So uh, frequency of these communications and these discussions is a distinguishing characteristic between best-in-class organizations and everybody else. One of the things I might mention is that uh, there are a lot of organizations, I'm sure, in which the managers say, well, I talk to my people all the time. We're always talking about business. We're always talking about clients. We're always talking about et cetera, et cetera. And that's not always the same thing as having this, the focus of uh, the stay interview concept. And so just keep that in mind. If you're listening and you think, I'm not sure if I fit or not, think about if you're in your employee's seat and whether they feel like uh, they are getting the benefit that Chris has described with regard to uh, the stay interview process. So, okay, uh, I think we're at the end of our half hour right now. Uh, Brian, that, that's it for the questions. Is that correct? That's it. You got it. Okay. Well, great. Well, uh, Chris, I'd like to ask if you have any final words, uh, and, and thank you very much for your, your uh, participation today. It's been a great episode. Oh, it's my pleasure, Bruce, and, and always a, a pleasure to participate in your program. And I would say, uh, just as a final comment, if you're contemplating uh, doing stay interviews, do them. Just go ahead and, and, and get those in place. You'll see remarkable results. Okay, great. Thank you very much. So over to you, Brian. All right. Well, thanks, uh, Chris, Bruce. Another great show and uh, some good advice on how to really connect with those agents before it's too late and before they're walking out the door. So take heed to that. Uh, of course, we have a huge selection of archived shows at BenchmarkPortal.com. You can go to that anytime and check out over five seasons of shows that we have there for you. So enjoy. So from all of us at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Brian Carrington signing out. Have a great day.
that's a wrap.